The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, for this half hour, we're taking a look at the state of human rights in South Africa. We're joined by different organizations, including the Human Rights Commission, the Human Rights Watch. And now let's hear from Colette Litojani, who is Executive Director at the Human Rights Institute of South Africa. Colette, good morning to you and perhaps um, your own reflections of the state of our human rights. Uh, good morning to you, Kathy, and I also express my appreciation for putting us on, on air and with this uh, very uh, important panel. Mm. I think the human rights situation of South Africa is really of serious concern, and there has been a um, uh, deterioration of the status of human rights, particularly with regard to um, delivery of freedom of association and assembly. The March month reminds us of how this right, uh, the right to assembly, uh, was uh, fought for through sacrifices. Uh, we know the, um, the, the people in, 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 in Sharpville, um, you know, fought, uh, you know, a, a huge battle, lost lives, and many people were injured because that right was undermined during apartheid era. So this right is safeguarded in the Constitution, and it is the cornerstone of our democracy. It is a key uh, right that as citizens use to express their freedom of expression, their, their, their right to social and economic right. Without this right, you are denying people uh, you know, to express themselves and even mm-hmm. to access those institutions of democracy like your your Human Rights Commission and uh, and various uh, government uh, institutions that are responsible for service delivery. And so we've yeah. seen that right being undermined, um, uh, you know, uh, to the detriment uh, of, of the citizens. I don't know, we Yes, Colette, how, how, is it, how is it being undermined? Okay, so the right is being undermined when there are laws that have been... Um, Promulgated, for example, uh, you find that we we have laws uh, for public participation, like uh, the the Leadership Authority Act, uh, which is uh, denying women 50% participation at local municipality, especially at traditional level setting. We, uh, women are given a threshold of 30%. So. We have this perpetual patriarchy that is continuing, and we, have, we know we are facing gender-based violence and violence against women. And the institutions of, uh, of democracy and institutions at traditional level will not uh, advance. There won't be progress made because there are those kind of pieces of legislation that are still sitting there. Mm-hmm. And we also have the traditional court bill uh, and, and uh, leadership bill that is also adding more on the, uh, uh, the rights of women, you know, to occupy uh, those positions or to, you know, uh, bring their, their violations of human rights in a forum that is seen to be, um, you know, uh, impartial, uh, that will recognize issues of gender and uh, women, uh, emancipation mm-hmm. and participation of women in some of the processes that we have in the country. Some of the issues that you've raised, Colette, are very important. And Chris, part of the expectation would have been that 
the systemic issues, because a, a lot of what Colette is, is talking about can be changed systematically, that those would have been dealt with by now. And yet we still have the ongoing work of trying to change some of these issues. And, and, and it becomes a fight um, that it must even take place in the first place. Indeed. I mean, you know, I mean, she's absolutely correct. Um, but let me start off with the, the issue about the freedom of assembly and expression. Of course, we've been doing some work with an organization called African Police Civil uh, Oversight Committee in trying to influence and meet with the African Police Service on a regular basis where we want to, um, and we, and then into influencing the, 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 um, the legislative processes. However, we see that much of this freedom of expression and, and demonstrations get violated for a number of reasons. A, you find that people uh, that are sick and tired of just being writing letters and, and talking and talking and say, now, the only way for us to get is let's go to the street. And then all the demand, they say, can the mayor or the councillor come? And those people don't appear at all. And in the end, the result is that there is a, the police have then the, the, the task to stabilize the situation. So even there, yes, that's right. And sometimes people say, you know, there are these laws, you look at the, um, the right, it's assembly act, it still needs to be amended so as to give, give realization to the extreme of expression and association. With regard to the issue of women, certainly I can concur. And the Human Rights Commission, of course, um, is, 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 is as, as an institution supporting democracy, has been involved very much in, for example, around the GBV mm. uh, and the GBV issues. You know, we've, we've certainly, we, we, throughout our nine provinces, our Human Rights Commission has been taking up quite a lot of those complaints and actually made sure that the, the in some individual cases where it's not within our within our ambit, but it's worked with the certain police services to ensure that the perpetrators uh, get uh, brought the book. Yes, there's still a lot to do, but um, the issue stems from that, you know, we're going to in the local government elections now and parties will, pe- will promise people the moon and, and the sun and then after the elections they disappear and do not attend to the needs of the people. And that leads to frustration of the people, and that leads to people taking to the streets. We see this happen year on year, where, you know, promises are made, they are not kept. Why is that cycle not being broken? So where does the issue lie? And and I'm asking this question not just from the point of who or which party is in charge, but why the cycle, um, especially between the relationship with politicians and ordinary citizens, it has been allowed to continue in the way that it has? Well, you know, if you find that in certain areas there's excellent relationship between politicians and communities, in other areas it's just not, 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 not that, that uh, the way it should be. Mm. I think, Cassie, where it lies is the expectation of the poor. Because when people come around to the poor year by year and say, we will do this for you, we'll do this for you, mm. in their desperation, they follow and they believe that. And how are we going to break the cycle? I don't know. But it's the desperation of the poor wanting to have those socioeconomic rights realized and in, 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 in whipping up the emotion, whipping up the frenzy, people believe it. Dewa, is there enough accountability? Again, maybe speaking to some of the promises that are made versus what is delivered. So, and we can even take a look at this from the context of what are the rights that are promised to South Africans and the accountability over the delivery of those rights. Yes. 
certainly, well, and uh, we've just sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, uh, no, thanks, thanks, Kathy. Uh, sorry, Dewa, you can go ahead. Okay. Yeah, Kathy, there is not uh, in enough uh, accountability, and I would agree with uh, what Chris has said. But also, when we look at uh, poor service delivery and lack of accountability, we must factor in issues around corruption. Because when there is massive corruption, it means that resources that should otherwise go to uh, service delivery for the poor in the communities are diverted into the pockets of a few. And as a result, there is no service delivery. And also, uh, where you know, political leaders are involved in, you know, in the tenders, in the corruption, it means that uh, those in the communities are unable to seek uh, audience. So there is need for greater accountability uh, at the level of you know, the local or municipal authorities, which is currently not there. And, and we have seen this with the protests when people seek to express themselves uh, on the streets. Uh, and then there is repression, which is, you know, uh, a heavy-handed use of um, excessive force by the police, uh, which in a way silences the people and cuts off, you know, the mechanisms for accountability because the public is unable to express uh, displeasure at the failure to deliver services uh, when they see that it's happening. Let me quickly go to the phone line. Sebastian, you're calling us from uh, Cape Town. Good morning. Yes, good morning to you and your panel. Uh, I'd like to raise the issue of uh, the public actually being able to protect their rights and the mechanisms that are available to them for so doing, because in my personal experience, these are grossly inadequate. I'd like to just to deal with two um, aspects of it. The first would be access to courts. Now, mm-hmm. as far as I can see, it's only extremely poor and, extre- and the very rich who can actually access uh, courts because of the high legal costs. Um, the very poor can get legal aid, but this uh, has um, a means test attached to it, which not only has a low income limit, but uh, more importantly, if you have property worth more than 500,000 rand, you can't get legal aid, which cuts out large swathes of the, uh, of the uh, still poor people and the middle class. Uh, they, they actually can't afford themselves to go to court, and they, can't, and they um, denied legal aid assistance. Now, when you come to institutions such as the public protector and the um, uh, Human Rights Commission mm-hmm. and also certain ombudsmen. Uh, my personal unfortunate experience over many years of dealing with the uh, Human Rights Commission in Cape Town and also the public protector in Cape Town has been encountering people who, in my uh, feeling about them, were not committed to providing justice to uh, the applicant, but really their main preoccupation seemed to be clearing their caseload as quickly as possible, either by closing down uh, the cases on spurious grounds or by dumping them on someone else who was not ne- always necessarily uh, the appropriate party. Um, uh, so a lot depends on the integrity and attitude of the officials that you encounter, uh, encounter in these organizations. Uh, and uh, uh, my personal experience is uh, finding them extremely lacking. I can't provide chapter and verse. Obviously, there's not time on this radio program. And when you come to ombudsman, certain don't function well. If you, For example, if you take the community schemes ombudsman service and go to Hello Peter and see a uniformly zero, uh, 
negative commentary from the uh, on the from the public um you, giving them the lowest grading across uh, from almost everyone who actually comments on Hello Peter, then is, uh, uh, you know, it points to something being very wrong with this particular onboard service, mm-hmm. and it may not, uh, you know, only be limited to this one in particular. So th- there may be protections on paper, but when you come to reality, they they are either non-functional or non or absence or poor in performance. And this is, a, uh, you know, this is what the uh, the public is facing. All right, all right, Sebastian, thanks for that call. And you're raising a very important issue of access to legal recourse because often where people have tried and failed, the courts become one of the options and indeed an, an option of, of last re, you know, resort. But you need resources in order to take cases through the courts. And I'll get my guests to, to weigh in on the matter that uh, Sebastian is raising there. Cyril in Cockstart, good morning. Good morning, Cathy, and thanks for the opportunity that you're giving us to uh, Radio SFM, and good morning to uh, Commissioner Chris uh, Nissen. I want to ask uh, 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 Commissioner Chris uh, Nissen whether he agrees with me. I know this is a, a scratch record uh, question, mm. but I haven't posed it to him. Mr. Chris uh, uh, Nissen, you are fair with the Khoisan matters, and I, and I take you a, a son of the soil. In the Constitution, which is the highest law in the country, Section 25, 7 and 8, uh, are you aware what stands there? I think, I'll just come get to the point, that the 1913 cut-off date marginalizes the Khoisan to reclaim their land. Though the restitution was amended, that 1913 cut-off date is still there. So another act can't re- reverse this unless you amend the Constitution of South Africa. Now, the consequences of that is I've just looked at the expropriation uh, of the government. The minister, Toko Deviza, made a list of 700 pounds or 800 pounds, somewhere around there, available. That's land that belongs to the government. That land is now on offer for lease. Now, can you see the consequences by marginalizing the Khoisan in the constitution, meaning now that the eye of a collective land claim in his Greek land which involves thousands of people, but I'm marginalizing the Constitution because I can't reclaim land prior to 1913. And restitution, I would regard, should take priority above redistribution and land and tenure. Mm. But it appears that government is prioritizing redistribution and land and tenure and net restoration. So now, this land belongs to government, which no uh, uh, active forum or some poor organization will complain about because they are not the current owners. They are not complaining. But the same land that we would want to ask as alternative land for restoration is now on offer for leases of 30 years. Now, Mr. Chris uh, uh, Nissen, I think you clear what I'm saying. I want to elaborate further because I don't want to hold up the traffic. Can you tell us what is the way forward? Because to me, unless the Constitution is amended, that cut of date to rock art or something like that, then the Khoisan will be, uh, how can I say, uh, taken out of this dump because we're going to become slaves in our own land. Okay. Thank you. 
All right, Cyril, uh, out in Kotstad. Thanks for that call. Uh, Chris, I'll begin with you and then we'll get to um, the rest of our callers. Of course, we uh, I'm going to give an opportunity perhaps to answer one question. In fact, let me do this. Let's go to break. We'll come back then with the responses of Chris Nissen and our other guests on this issue. On SAFM. We continue the conversation on the thinking point this morning and we've been looking at the issue of human rights and South Africa's access to human rights and the state of human rights in the country. Uh, Chris Nissen, he's a commissioner at the South African Human Rights Commission. Chris, I'll give you an opportunity to respond first to uh, some of the questions that uh, were raised directly with you and uh, just the reflections from our listeners. Kathy, how are you? I'm Nathan K from Bombera. Please, to break that cycle of the parties promising something and they fail to fulfill it, it should have been in law that if a party promised something within five years and they fail to fulfill it, the party which was next them, they should take power without any election, without electing another party that's why that's when the party will change in the way that they promise something and they fulfill it because they will know that if they fail to fulfill it the next party which was next them they will take over the power without erecting any party it will be automatic to take over mm. thanks kathy i'm nathan K from Mobera. bye all right nathan thanks for that chris let me begin with you your your response to the questions by our listeners Yes, no, thank you, Kathy. Uh, to settle, I was supposed to be in Kwasnatal last week to discuss with the Khoisan and the Chikwa leaders, Khoisan and Chikwa leaders. And this, this, the questions you ask is, in, in fact, a dialogue and a debate that we must have. And I would, would say that, yes, let's, let's, let's meet. Um, I certainly uh, will be within the, this month's still meeting, setting up meeting with different Khoi and San leaders because we brought out a report uh, after a national hearing on some of these issues. So if we could leave it like that, that'll come and, and then we can have a dialogue and debate on it so that it can benefit other leaders as well in the area. With regard to Sebastian, Sebastian, I'd like to, I'm from Cape Town, but I'm not in Cape Town now. I'd like to sit down and, and, and discuss this with you because access to justice is a right. And we have raised it with legal aid because it's not only people with a 500,000 rand house or, or property. It's also people that earn just above the, 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 the margin and they too don't have access to that. And so it, it's something that we need to talk about and engage uh, with the different departments and with the Department of Justice as well. Because if a person has got a 500,000 rand property, the person is a pensioner. Sometimes the pension is just on, online with SASA but your property is standing in your way of having access to justice. And perhaps we need to meet and also discuss what your, your issues are or the issues that you raise, raise with regarding to the Western Cape office. I certainly want them to um, sit down with you and say that we can go through those issues. Mm-hmm. Dewa? Uh, yes, I'm in full agreement with um, uh, what Chris has said and also the important points raised around land rights and the need to ensure that the constitution of south africa is a living document that reflects the aspirations of all the people of south africa so access to justice very much important but of course if you look at south africa i must acknowledge that uh, its uh, chapter 9 institutions are quite strong more can be done to improve their services 
but we need to acknowledge where South Africa has, has done well and to hope that they will continue to reach out but um, certainly they are quite strong in terms of the work that they have been doing. Thank you. Mm. Uh, Colette, let me bring you in here and perhaps also if you can just touch on the issue of accountability and whether or not we are seeing um, clear accountability channels where there isn't uh, a, a clear enough delivery of, of ensuring that the environment that we're in enables people to access their rights. Yes, uh, thank you so much. I think uh, we are seeing that um, accountability, which is a very strong um, uh, principle, which is uh, captured in our constitution as well, being also undermined. And uh, we are seeing, um, you know, negative responses and not uh, uh, responding positively to uh, institutions of democracy that are tasked with a huge mandate of dealing with corruption, for example, of holding the suspect of human rights accountable. We cannot have a justice system which is uh, serving the interests of the country where we've seen a perpetual you know, uh, um, actions that tend to undermine and doing it blatantly in an environment which is so democratic. I think we need to see leadership of the country uh, instilling, uh, uh, promoting the values that we have in our constitution and also maybe uh, uh, um, enhancing their policies. Mm -hmm. We we are not sure if their policies are missing some of the principles that we have in our constitution because they need to be the ones that are advancing. They are the defenders of our constitution. Chesi, if I may just put in another point Mm -hmm. regarding the chapter 9 institution, because now if citizens are not able to access your constitutional court and other courts because of cost implication, then uh, we need to see the Human Rights Commission and others being well-funded. Issue of funding of the Chapter 9 institution is very fundamental, giving, uh, providing capacity and resources to all in the nine provinces to have number of, of, of officials that are fulfilling most of the work that we are doing. Because if we are going to be depending on Chapter 9 institutions and they are not well-funded and they are not able to fulfill their function, it means uh, our constitution is also undermined. Mm. We need to participate in processes where the Human Rights Commission, for example, they prepare their, their reports when they uh, prepare them to present before parliament to receive uh, inputs from civil society so that they can incorporate that information in their reports and and raise the issues at parliament so that we can also lobby and advocate for for the recommendations that parliament is making. The last one, Casey, is with Regulations of Gathering Act. Regulations of Gathering Act, we know that it is a legislation that was um, uh, developed pre-1994. So it lacks human, human rights tenements. Your right to assembly and uh, uh, association are not well uh, uh, um, uh, placed in that uh, document. We, we, we know that there's a court judgment that has been passed where uh, uh, assemblies uh, you know, are, are, are recognized by the courts that citizens can exercise this right. However, during the lockdown, which we understand that we had to observe the protocols to minimize the pandemic, the spread of the pandemic, we've seen, you know, a very uh, uh, divided, if I may say, the double standards of enforcing the, 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 the regulations. 
some protests are protected. Sure. We don't see police coming in and, uh, you know, um, shooting and uh, dismissing uh, uh, protesters in a, vi- in a violent manner. In other protests, we see that, uh, you know, uh, police are committing all these heinous uh, crimes. There's murders that always follow. The, 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 the protests end up very violent. So we need to talk about regulations of gathering acts and encourage the government. And by now, I think they are aware that there are certain protests that are protected where there will be no violence, All where right. there will be no police violations of human rights. Thank you very much. All right. Colette Le Glojane, let's leave it there for this morning. She's the executive director at the Human Rights Institute of South Africa. And let me thank all of my guests then for coming on to the show and being part of this conversation. Dewa Mavinga, he's with Human Rights Watch, and Chris Nissen is with the Human Rights Commission.